Welcome to the McCovey Chromecast. It is Monday, April 18th. I'm Brian Murphy. I'm Doug Brazzoni. Oh, the Giants lost the series to the Dodgers. They finish a two and four week. Uh, it was a Sunday night game. Uh, I'm I'm disappointed, but mainly furious. <laughs> Um, yeah, I'm not. Well, I'm not. I'm, I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. <laughs> I'm curious um, because it sucks to spend that much time watching them play so badly. <laughs> it does. I mean, they, yeah. I mean, yeah, Jeff Samarjo looked fine. He looked good. I would say he looked really good. His fastball is coming back in like with every start, it's getting better. And that's great because I, I have not forgotten Eno Saris's tweet. In like his third spring training start or whatever, where it's just like he has ninety two, ninety three, and doesn't look, he doesn't know where it's going, and that looks, that's the sign of a guy whose arm might be dying. And I was right. really worried about that. And his first uh, start, he didn't look tremendously better than that. Uh, but since then, he's done well. Um, yeah, no, it is. Well, what I remember is I didn't see that tweet when it was tweeted. I saw it like a week or two later when when somebody else tweeted. Yeah, that that'd be bad. Except, and they showed that his velocity was actually about where it had been for a while. Like his, his spring training velocity was about sure. where it had been. So, I was like, okay, because that's one of the great things about not being on Twitter too much <laughs> for a while is that you don't horribly overreact to things. Well, I tend to put stock in people who are smarter than I am, which that's a great many number of people. So <laughs> maybe that's my problem. Uh, yeah. One thing in terms of concerns with velocity. And this gets into our our week here is uh, Madison Bum, Madison Bumgarner's average fastball velocity and top fastball velocity are way down. Uh, it's so it's early enough in the season, but I mean he's apparently had the flu since opening day. That's <laughs> which I'm not sure about that. But uh, the other night against the Dodgers, he didn't look great, um, and you could you could chalk that up to some defensive miscues too. But he certainly has not really looked too much like Madison Bumgarner this year. And and uh, and the fastball's down. So there's all that. There's that to consider as well. But uh, Yeah, none of that's good. Yeah. Um, I'm finding, again, the tweet, which the tweet I, I liked to save it. This is how I research folks, as you can tell. But uh, it, was, it was a tweet that was basically just a screen capture of of ESPN or maybe it was Brooks FX like fastball charts and uh it was from man I like a lot of tweets during the day Matt Goldman at the original bull and he uh he had the fastball average for Bumgarner so over the last two seasons it was 92 miles an hour that was his average fastball and his top fastball velocity the last two years was 92 and 92.2 and this year his average fastball through three starts is 90.4 and his top fastball was ninety point seven miles per hour, so <laughs> that's that's disconcerting. And uh, certainly he's had his velocity bounce around here and there. Um, so you would hope that nothing's going to happen. He'll get it together. But in the early going, it's it's rough that the offense has to carry the team right now because the pitching overall has not been fantastic. Yeah, no, it's it's not good. And you know the worrying thing about Bumgarner, at least for Giants fans, is that. We've seen our our aces just suddenly break down. You know, we saw it happen to Lincecum, who went from being a great pitcher to being terrible in an off season. We saw it with Kane, who it was a little bit slower with Kane. Like he is twenty thirteen ended up being okay, 
But, you know, he's phenomenal in 2012. He's okay in 2013. And he's been a disaster 2014, 2015. And so it's one of those things that you look at Bumgarner and say, please, just yeah. please, no, <laughs> just don't. <laughs> Uh, and so, but I mean, that that's where these new guys, where the new guys coming in sort of uh, kind of cushions the blow a little bit. Hopefully it's it's not going to be, if Bumgarner is basically uh, a mid-rotation guy for the entire season, hopefully Cueto and Samarja really are kind of coming into some version of how they're going to be for most of the year. Um, again, we're 13 games into the season. Giants are in third place. Again, does that really matter? Who cares? Uh, but let's just look at the week. I mean, just to talk about these other guys coming in. Um, again, two two wins, four losses. Uh, probably the you know the first win was against the Rockies on Tuesday, seven to two, and that was where Samarja looked good, and then he got better as the game went on, and uh, and and he just looked great. He pitched in Colorado, which I think everyone was expecting him to serve up four or five home runs in that game, and that wasn't the case. Yeah, no, I mean, especially coming off his uh, his first start in Milwaukee, there's that, you know, that little nagging voice in the back here that's like, he's going to be bad. Yeah. He's going to be White Sox Samarja. Yeah. It's going to happen. <laughs> Just watch Coors, then a Sunday night game. Come on. Right. But he, he pitched really well in Colorado. He pitched pretty well uh, yesterday in the Sunday night game. Yeah. Um, not, you know, not well enough, but he wasn't, he was certainly a good pitcher. Um and yeah, he's really kind of doing a lot to uh, to soothe some of those fears. Yeah, and again, coming out of spring, you know, spring training is its own thing, and and hopefully it's keeping his fastball down. Uh, in the Sunday night game, definitely a lot of you know the mistake pitches. Um, so we can talk about later, but just in terms of the Colorado game, you know, really he threw that cutter at Trevor Story that was ninety four, ninety six miles an hour. That uh, that just broke away, and it was a cutter, and and I don't recall a non-closer throwing a pitch like that. And I'm sure someone hopefully can cite an example, but it looked really impressive, and just that power fastball and a usable breaking ball in Colorado, and he he handled the lineup very well, which no other giant, literally no other giant, did the next two days. Um, <laughs> all those home runs we thought that Jeff Samarja was going to give up on Tuesday, the I think the Giants gave up in the very next in the next two games for sure. Uh, he, he put them in a box and he <laughs> was like, "Surprise!" And then Jake Peavy and Matt Cain opened it. Yeah, and that they shouldn't have. I think we can talk about those games together, uh, especially since you know the Giants lost so much. Who wants to dwell on all those losses this week? So the thirteenth and fourteenth uh, last or Wednesday and Thursday, a loss ten to six and a loss eleven to six. Uh, and the only thing I could say really is the Giants looked bad. Even offensively, they 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 looked over. You know, they they scored six runs, but they could have had they had other opportunities. Uh, but I mean, that just shows you how bad the Giants' pitching was. That the Rockies were able to make better pitches than the Giants were. Um, Matt Cain was really good in the first four innings of his start, and then it just kind of all unraveled very quickly. Um, but Jake Peavy was historically bad. He was yeah. historically he, he bad. Was, he was abysmal. It was he did not do anything right in that game. And it was that, extra base hit after extra base hit with a side of extra base hit and some extra base hit sauce lathered on top. Like it was just brutal. The Giants uh, surrendered twelve extra base base hits in that game, and uh, and and 
Jake Peavy had the record, the San Francisco record for extra base hits before he left, you know, before the fifth inning, you know, he, he, he was that bad. Uh, I believe there are two triples, a double in the first inning alone. And, yep. and he had, he was between 84 and 89 the entire game. Obviously he's throwing other types of pitches, but his fastball never broke 90 and he, and everything was in the middle of the plate, which, you know, that's a sign of bad pitching. It's also a sign of what all the mistakes the Giants pitchers have been making are just right in the middle of the plate. And it's it's kind of galling to see because you can't kind of, you can't quite believe it. But in any case, it's not that surprising that Jake Beavy, who no longer has his overpowering stuff, if he cannot be fine with his pitches, this is more likely to happen going forward than than anything else. I, I mean, not even clean innings. <laughs> Right. Um, yeah, his, his best inning, I think he gave up one double. Right. And, uh, or sorry, he gave up a single and a double, and then LeMahieu was thrown out at home. That was his best inning. And he, and it was a great defensive play that, that Buster Posey made. Well, first it was a great, it was a great throw home. It was such a great throw home. Uh, Posey, when he dove to tag the guy, he actually tagged him on his fingertips. Uh, so that was really impressive. But, uh, it's one of those starts for Jake Peavy where you go, well, he's getting older uh, in baseball years and in pitcher years, and he did have five strikeouts. That's important to keep in mind. So he was able to get swing and misses, so that's something. Uh, but it's one of those things that you kind of file not too far back in your mind. You know, you're just like, this is the wheels can come off this sucker very quickly. You know, Todd Wellemeyer was still throwing 93, 94 when he was done. Um, <laughs> so you never know, but uh, as discouraging as Jake Peavy's start was, I would say, even though Matt Cain's, you know, bringing Chris Heston after coming in in relief to back up Matt Cain seems like a really bad decision in not even a retrospect in the moment. It was right. sort of fun. Uh, and so that really just opened the floodgates and, and took the game out of control. Really the, you know, the giants were down, I think nine to one at at that point um, or seven to one. In any case, you know, Matt Cain pitched, he looked good in Colorado, which he not, he hasn't traditionally looked that great in there. Um, and he is a fly ball pitcher, but he was still able to get, he got a lot of fly balls that, you know, before things started jumping all over the place, his fastball was 92 and he had a, his curveball was, was looking good. Um, and so to me, it seems like the takeaway from that is he might be coming. It's more likely. I think that Matt Cain is going to do better going forward than it is that Jake Peavy is going to turn it around. That's really the odds I'm laying out. Yeah, I mean, I I agree with that. I think that, you know, when Kane came out of the game, it was 3-1, and the bases were loaded, I want to say. We can look that up, but we'll just say yes. (laughs) And, uh, and, you know, Boshi put in Chris Heston, which I understand the bullpen was short. Contos couldn't go that day. Romo had just flown back because he's injured. Um, But still, Chris Heston has probably never pitched on zero days rest in his life, uh, at least as a professional. He hasn't because he was a starter all through the minors. It's not something that's not putting him in a position to succeed. It's not a good move for the sake of the team. Um, you would have to say, please vote you just put in anyone else, especially considering that Heston has historically been awful in cores. That's been, you know, I mean, as I say historically, he's been around for a year and a half, hmm. a little more than a year, but 
you know, his worst starts, even when he was looking good last year, were in cores. So that seems to be setting him up to fail. And boy, did he ever. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, somewhat spe- spectacular. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Gave sure. up a of his own. Yeah. Not dead. This is, this is how uh, traumatic the inning was. I actually forgot that it was a nine-run inning in the fifth. <laughs> um, I thought it was 7-1. to It was 9-1. to one. Uh, Yeah, but Chris, Chris Heston comes in. He still throws an inning and a third, but he, he allows three earned runs himself, <laughs> uh, just by himself. And Matt Kane gets tagged with the six earned runs. But Kane had one walk and seven strikeouts. Uh Again, strikeouts always a good indicator of where a pitcher is at, and that's a good lineup that the Rockies have. Um, and and he was doing fine. He was kind of just cruising along for four innings, and then it really did just kind of fall apart. Um, so hopefully, the next time we see him, you know, the Giants won't score any runs for him, obviously. But <laughs> uh, the, you know, it will. Uh, we'll we'll see what happens. Um, and so now let's just go right into this Dodgers series. Friday night, Jackie Robinson Day, and Enrique uh, Enrique Hernandez. I mean, that guy, that guy just owns Madison Bumgarner. And really, the Dodgers really aren't that bothered by him, at least at this point. And uh, and really, kind of a, a humbling start. And but beyond that, I guess the big story is too. I mean, it's so easy to rag on Kelby Tomlinson, but really, the Dodgers are. Two and O against Kelby Tomlinson. I think that's fair to yeah. say. <laughs> um, uh, last night's loss, you know, notwithstanding, you know, before that, prior to that, <laughs> the Dodgers uh, really just beat the Giants because of Kelby Tomlinson. But um, I don't know what else there is, what more there is to say about this game. You give a team like the Dodgers extra opportunities, they're going to score the runs. And when you have a Madison Bumgarner who apparently was suffering from the flu for the first time in his life, which he was suffering from the flu and at opening day against the Brewers. So he's suffering the flu for two weeks um, for the first time in his life. Um, I don't know where I come from the flu. If it goes for two weeks, you're going to die very soon. So (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, I I have not had that experience. Well, I'm just saying professional flu. If you're a professional athlete with the flu, I mean, for two weeks, uh, it seems it seems odd you would need bed rest at some point in there (laughs) yeah you'd think um yeah i mean it's it was not a very good game uh enrique elster hernandez uh Hmm. that that was a nice little kevin elster reference that's right i'm gonna now clarify because that makes references better by the way yeah um you know he owns bumgarner he's 10 for 16 now i think against him yep which is ridiculous because come on, yeah. come on, <laughs> what what is that? That's, uh, that's he, my analysis. Yeah, I mean he never really, you know, Bumgarner never really seemed to settle in too much. But again, seven strikeouts, he did, you know, gives up eight hits. Um, so you could just say like if you take away the defensive lapses, maybe it's just like kind of an average start, and it is a start that they were kind of in against Clayton Kershaw again, which is kind of, which is somewhat encouraging (laughs) that they're hanging around against uh, Clayton Kershaw a little bit, you know, in the first two starts that they see, you know, that they see him. Um, That's encouraging because usually you just assume that there's no chance 
and the Giants seem to play just close enough. Um, yeah, I mean, usually with Kershaw, you just scan the lineup. You're like, is Brett Bell in there? No. no Brandon yeah. Hicks in there? No. All right, we're doomed. Uh, and, I mean, so here's the thing. I, obviously, I was pretty steamed after that game, and I thought, well, here's the thing. Why not rag on Kelby Tomlinson a little bit? That's what – when young players are brought up, that's what happens to them. They have to carry bags, and they get treated like garbage because they really are garbage, and playing Major League Baseball is really hard. And getting good at it, you know, most, it's not like most rookies. They don't come up and they're not good all of a sudden, uh, all of a sudden. Um, but now that I've had a couple of days to think about it, I'm like, ah, who cares? <laughs> what really <laughs> screws the Giants more than Kelby Tomlinson not being great, and that's probably what he is, is not great, is that they have no other options on the 40-man roster for an infielder. <laughs> Uh, and so the idea that Ari Adrianza not being on the team uh, really hurts them is shocking. <laughs> <laughs> but that is the state it, of affairs. <laughs> it is, and that's how it is. And, you know, you can talk about internal options all you want. Um, yesterday I was at the Rivercats game. I saw Hawk Dooley. Uh He looked very bad <laughs> at the plate. Like, he's he's fine defensively, but... He's he's swinging the bat with nothing behind it. There's no strength in his swing. He looks awful. Like, he's hit a homer this year. It was in Salt Lake City, so basically the same as Denver. Um, But he looked bad. <laughs> it, it was really sad to see. You look at that and you go, and because and I was kind of thinking that they were, that we'll talk about the infield situation a little bit later, I think, but I was thinking that, you know, if they can't, figure out anything else they might call him up and then i looked the way he was swinging and it's not a good idea um and the other (laughs) middle infielder people talk about is ramiro pena who apparently had some kind of injury yesterday uh some kind of leg injury i think so he's not gonna get a call up either anytime soon and mac williamson can't play second base or shortstop right he cannot. I believe in, in high school he was a catcher, but that's not very helpful right now. <laughs> no, it's not. Uh, so a bad week for the Giants. They are in third place now, and uh, whatever. Who do you pick as the, uh, let's say, what was the best game of the week? Um, two wins to choose from? <laughs> yeah, it's got to be Cueto against the Dodgers. Cueto against the which we didn't even really talk about, but, I mean, Johnny Cueto looked great, uh, and – the bullpen, oh man, that bullpen just really wanted to blow that game. <laughs> I mean, I feel like it was really just Javi that wanted to blow that game. Right, right. Like, right. What? And Javi, I mean, you know, he's a charismatic guy. You understand that he might be able to talk him into it. Yeah. But right. <laughs> uh, it's kind of weird. I think it's weird that every year the Giants essentially have a going a farewell tour for an old player. <laughs> it, this seems to be the case pretty consistently for what feels like 15 years. Um, that every year, you know, there's one guy on his, on his last gasp. It could be Jake Peavy. I mean, certainly heading into the start of the season or in the spring training, we were like, well, it's Angel Pagan. But now <laughs> it's like, maybe it's Jake Peavy. And, uh, and by the way, folks, when I say like farewell tour, I mean like never picking up a baseball again. Um, uh, and you know, maybe it's Javi Lopez, who knows? Um, Certainly, when he has to face right-handed hitters, that it's not that situation is not going to get better. Uh, but we've certainly seen stretches where Lopez hasn't looked sharp in his one role, and has kind of then put it together. So who knows? Um, all right. So 
So Johnny Cueto is Johnny Cueto's game Saturday night. That's your best yeah, game. That is. I'm going to say seven to two at cores. Uh, I'm going to say Samarja's game was the best game of the week because uh, that was the offense doing what it needed to do in cores, and it was Jeff Samarja ticking baseball time bomb, holding the <laughs> a very uh, an excellent Rockies lineup uh, to two runs. Uh, so I would say that 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 was pretty impressive all the way around. Um, it was really. Yeah. Um, and also, I mean, just generally speaking, a two and four week, Buster Posey had one hit. Um, so, you know, you're not going to really do anything. Um, and then my confidence in Matt, Matt Duffy's ability to bounce back is, uh, I'm going to maintain that optimism, which I think screws him, right? Just straight yeah, up. Yeah. I mean, I, I was about to say that, um, <laughs> if, if people, listeners, if you want to know why Brian is never positive, <laughs> Just listen to him talk in last week's podcast about how great Matt Duffy is at making adjustments. And then look at what happened to Matt Duffy this week. Well, I mean, go back to all the podcasts. I've yeah, been exactly. very, very pro Matt Duffy and I have very much screwed him. Uh, <laughs> all right. So what was the worst game of the week? Lots to choose from here. Oh, I mean, there, there's a temptation to pick the Bumgarner game because it's against the Dodgers. But I think that PV one. Oh, no question. That's the worst game. It was a historically yeah. bad game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was just oof. not nothing. <laughs> nothing really good came yeah. out of that. Uh, and so now we'll pick our player of the week here. And um, I'm going to assume you're going to go Cueto there. Let me just answer for you. But maybe not. <laughs> I'm not actually. Okay. I'm, I'm going to go Samarja. Um, oh, going Samarja. But- yeah. Samarja made one great start. He made another good start. You know, he didn't yeah. win, but he did a good job in that start. And yeah, uh, I think that it's it's really important, especially going forward, that he can perform like that. You know, if that's if that's the bad Samarja, then that's a really good sign. And if Definitely. that's not the bad Samarja, then hopefully we don't see him. Yeah. But it was a really encouraging week for him, and I think that's important for the Giants. Yeah, I I mean, I think I'm going to go with uh, just just to keep it different to recognize other guys. I'm going to go with Derek Law. Okay, yeah. <laughs> because I really enjoyed watching that, and I'm a little surprised he didn't get into the game yesterday because he seems like a guy that Bochi will love as a security blanket. Um, <laughs> because you come out and you throw 96, and then you've got this really weird breaking ball, and you've got that weird delivery that changes people up. I feel like that's great. Uh, I feel like that's something he'll just really, really appreciate. But uh, And he looked good. He looked really good. So... Way to debut, kid. Uh, <laughs> all right, so looking ahead to next week, 10, 10 straight home games, uh, four ugh, four against the Diamondbacks, uh, and then three versus Miami, and then three versus the Padres. So really, that's a terrible week. <laughs> because <laughs> yeah, you've got... A, that you've that got is a, not fun. Yeah, you've got a, four games against a boring slash obnoxious team. You've got three games of a death fog rolling in, so God help you. And then you've got the Padres for three games, and they are some other version of annoying and pesky. So I really don't uh, – yeah. The, the Giants are still on pace for my 57 wins. But uh, they're okay. – yeah, I mean, they only they can only win 50, uh, 50 more games. I think that's possible. <laughs> I think that's very oh, possible. So that's what pace means. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. I <laughs> They can still win only 50 games or 57 games. Yes. Um, yeah. I, I don't think we need to make predictions. We already did the, that stuff, but um, 
it'll be interesting to see you know how the Diamondback like see them in person because I'm not going to sit there and watch a game of theirs on my own when they're not <laughs> playing the Giants. Oh God, <laughs> Jesus! But Those uh, uniforms, yeah, right, right. Those you know, oh man. Uh, but Barry Bonds, he comes back. That's that's huge news. And the Marlins could win. You know, they could win three or four games all year in the in the season, and they would only be the games at AT and T Park. Um, they are they, a different they could team. Win three games all season, and they would win six games against the Giants. That's right. <laughs> but they are a different team against the Giants, so it'll be bittersweet right away. You know it <laughs> because they, ah Barry Bonds, and then and then uh, Jason or Justin Bohr is going to play like Barry Bonds, <laughs> and then it will be very annoying. Um, I, <laughs> so talk about uh, Jeff Samarja's. Uh, game against the Dodgers on Sunday or yesterday and how he wasn't pulled for a pinch hitter uh, and yeah. wound up bunting into a double play. I bring that up as sort of our next topic. Um, the Giants have 13 pitchers on their roster and when um, and they had two DL moves this week. Uh, both One definitely long-term, one may not be as long, but Ari Adrianz is out for two months. Um, because even if it's just the six, he's out six to eight weeks with a broken foot. But even if he's just out the six weeks, he's got to go back for rehab start. So just figure he's out for two months. And then Romo's got a barking elbow, which could mean we, he may not pitch for a while or never again. We don't like in a Giants <laughs> uniform. We don't know. Um, and so the Giants move uh, was to bring up um, Mac Williamson, uh, but also Derek Law. And instead of pinch hitting <laughs> for Jeff Samarja, they had him bunt and I just, and then they had Jeff uh, and then they had George Contos come in the pitch and George Contos has pitched like eight of the 13 games. So I'm wondering why do they have 13 pitchers if they're just going to use the same guy every day? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a little bit of a puzzler. You know, you know that Bochi wants to show confidence in his pitcher um, so he's gonna he's gonna leave Samarja in. By the way, for the record, Samarja's bunt was terrible. It he bunted into a double play. That move just could not have gone any worse. Right, right. Um, oh, it was it was awful. But I'm saying, why not pinch hit in that situation? Is really just like why why are you not doing that? <laughs> well, I mean, options. the reason they have 13 pitchers is that they don't trust most of the relievers, so you don't <laughs> right. want to bring them into that game because they'll probably be bad. But you're still, you know, you're giving up there. There was already an out. So you're giving up another out. So you're now hoping for two for a two out hit. Um, uh, so I, I don't understand that. I don't understand why it's Contos because it's not like Contos instills a ton of confidence when he goes out there, 89 and 91. And you got to hope his slider is working that day, like any reliever. But I'm guessing I'm, I'm just wondering what's really that much of a difference between George Contos and and Garen, Garen besides we've seen one more than the other. But basically, Garen's got the similar repertoire, but a little bit more of a fastball, and he's got the deception in his delivery. Uh, I think they're my speculation is they're auditioning. You know, they're showing him off to trade him because this roster roster crunch cannot hold. Um, I don't know if they're showing him off. I feel like teams around the league have gotten a pretty good look at George Contos by now. I would and hope. Yeah. I'm just trying to justify what I perceive to be a, a very odd, like 
questionably bad decision making process. Um, <laughs> that's all, and I know he's got all the rings, but it doesn't mean that it always. It seemed the last few years that a lot of the bad managerial decisions happened in the first couple of months of the season for whatever reason, you know. Yeah, I mean, I think so. To that, I think Bochi spends the first couple months of the season trying to figure out what he has with his bullpen. Um, but for Contos, I believe that he gets brought in every game because Bochi just likes having that arm that he can abuse. <laughs> like it, it really he does. It makes him feel really comfortable. Like for a while, it would it would be uh, is Guillermo Moda for a few yeah. years. Um, <clears throat> for a couple years, it was for a year actually for one year. It was really Yusmero Petit. Yeah. Um, and then last year they didn't use Yusmero Petit at all. Right. Um, so it was suddenly Contos. And he's just going to have that role basically as long as he's on the Giants at this point. <laughs> well, I remember <laughs> when they tried to stretch Contos into a multi-inning reliever. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure they still hope to do that. But all right. So that's that's another idea of looking at it. And he usually comes in when they're down anyway. So, uh, <laughs> Or that's been the intention the last few years. Um, but I just don't think that this, this particular construction is going to hold up for very long. I mean, it's a, it's not a great bench anyway. There is that. <laughs> the guys yeah. they have on there. Madison Bumgarner is probably still the best pinch hitter they have on there. <laughs> but the fact that the 40-man roster has no other infield options and Adrianza really was going, like, he really finally was the guy that they had been wanting him to be um, even in just that short spurt of spring training in the beginning of the season. Um, you know, Tomlinson, you know, it basically it comes down to Tomlinson has to step it up. Um, yeah. <laughs> and so man, Duffy has to step it up. But I mean, when Duffy struggles, he has to keep playing, you know, I'm sure it's one of those situations that Bochy would like to get someone else in there to kind of spell him for a game or two, but there's no luxury. There's, they don't, they can't really do that. Yeah. So one of the things that, um, that I was thinking is that probably they're working the phones pretty hard for a trade for some other teams, area Adrianza or someone who's, you know, not especially good, but is capable enough. Like a, like a younger Omar Infante who <laughs> like, like a younger player who hits like Omar Infante hits now. <laughs> well, I'm <laughs> like sure he's they not could good. get he's Omar not and cost a lot, <laughs> yeah. but um, you know, they're not gonna have to pay him a lot of money but they can have him and he's like a replacement level player who they can plug in when they need a defensive replacement. Well, I'm sure they could get Omar Infante, but he costs 10 or $11 million. So that's <laughs> right. <laughs> and I'm sure the Royals would say like, just take him. We'll do a player to be named later. It's fine. Do, <laughs> which, do you have a glove? Yeah. Which we'll doesn't help the 40 man roster. Coach. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, I, I mean, I think it'll be an interesting week. 10 at home is a big deal. And if something, if they don't look good, I mean, I would imagine something drastic on the scale of what you suggest, perhaps a trade or, or some sort of 40 man route move. Cause that's also full. Uh, I think that's, that's probably in the offing because 10 games, you know, just 10 games straight, you know, you're going to get into those situations where maybe the bullpen gets tired or, you know, you, you run through pinch hitters and, and you see what's, you know, or Duffy continues to struggle. So there's a lot that could happen uh, at home. And I know teams don't want to panic in the first month of the season. But it really just comes down to they have no, they basically don't have scheduled depth anymore. It's all gone. Uh, so something's going to have to give uh, if the situation doesn't improve with what they have. Yeah. Um, 
So by, by the end of that stretch, it's going to be 16 games in a row they play, which in April is pretty tough. Yeah. And I wouldn't be surprised if at the end of that, um, they drop a pitcher off the active roster and find another bench bat somewhere. Because yeah. it seems like this is probably the stretch they want to get through with the bigger bullpen when, you know, the starters haven't really been stretched out and you don't know what you're going to get from anybody. Yeah. And then after this, if, you know, if they end up maybe, for example, fake DLing PV or, you know, he has a shoulder twinge and they throw him on the DL for a while, then they'll they'll put, you know, Heston in the rotation and they'll promote uh, or they'll trade for a position player. That would I, be my best guess, but I don't uh, know anything. So. I like the uh, I like the Omar Infante idea, even though the Giants really can't afford to do that <laughs> right. financially. But I like it because I it certainly has seemed in this first month already that uh, the Giants do fine. They do okay against le- left-handed pitchers, but you know just the number of left-handed hitters they have. Uh, it'd be nice to show you know to get someone out there who can play infield and and kind of hit okay. And and I think they still hope for Tomlinson to be that guy. But you know. Infante does have a little pop. He he can hit for a little bit. He can hit doubles, basically. Uh, but defensively, it's, it is kind of, ugh. Um, all right, so we'll hope. We'll see what happens next week. Um, but uh, now we're going to um, we're going to introduce, um, we're going to go to another segment, all right? we uh, Doug, you weren't around, so while you were around, <laughs> weren't around, I snuck behind your back, and I invited our own Roger Munter, who writes the minor lines, to uh, come and talk to us about the Giants minor league system. So I know that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How do you feel about that? <laughs> <laughs> All right. And joining us now is Roger Munter, who writes minor lines uh, basically every night uh, for McCovey Chronicles. Roger, welcome to the McCovey Chroncast. Oh, thanks for having me. Um, right now, just to give everyone a little note, if you hear any strange noise in the background, I live in Hollywood, and right now there's a compressor. It's been running all day uh, at the hotel that's two doors down, and I don't know. They're blasting all the blood and screams and horrors of whoever was murdered there most recently. So uh, it's it might be a little bit of a noise. I think we'll press through, and we'll talk about something that's truly horrendous, and that right now is the record of the Giants' minor league system, Roger. That's why you're on. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. We can talk about that. And the, the best part is it, it gets worse the higher up you get. So That's right. By the time you get to Sacramento, you're at the really, really abysmal record. That's right. Uh, that, however, that game just went final uh, that they lost 7-4. to four. There is a possibility that San Jose is going to climb to 500 today, although their uh, bullpen appears to be working hard to avoid that at the moment. Now, I mean, that's sort of, that's the lot in life for minor league, right? They're not really designed for wins and losses. They're just designed to develop talent. And you might have a guy who goes out there and he's told, only throw your fastball, and then he just gets lit up. Uh, Or, you know, you've got guys just figuring it out and figuring out that they need to wear batting gloves. And, you know, you never know. (laughs) It's, you know, it's it's a complicated issue because uh, on the one hand, there is development going on. And those things happen where you say, you know, this guy, we we want concentrating on this pitch. And there's, a I think, a story of Madison Bumgarner and A-ball where the, the, the Burt Bradley told him to just use his changeup one inning uh, to work on it. But on the other hand, the, the Giants do. They always say that they believe in having people learn how to win in the in the minor leagues. And I know that Buster Posey was saying uh, at the Fan Fest this year that when he talks to minor leaguers, he tells them what you need to concentrate on is helping your team win, and that that's a valuable 
skill to build in its own right. So it's kind of an amalgamation of both. I think it's 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 very complicated. Well, that's I mean that actually makes a lot of sense because how they learn how to win at whatever age or level they're at now, in theory, if that helps the team win and they're successful, that will be the thing that propels them. They learn, you know, maybe maybe the Giants sort of, they don't worry about necessarily developing. This is something you can t- correct me on. You can uh, uh, maybe talk about how the, maybe the Giants aren't necessarily interested in developing different tools um, than what they think a player should have. They simply go, this is what the player does have. Let's maximize these one or two things that they do very well. And that's tied into the success. Talk about player, baseball players are obsessed with, you know, being comfortable and, and, and playing within themselves. And, and that idea of like, just win how you know, learn how to win. And then once you learn how to win, that's sort of how you learn how to play. Uh, and it kind of, it kind of feeds back in on itself. Or am I just talking out of my butt here? And that doesn't make any sense at all. You know, I heard uh, an interview with Shane Turner, who is the the director of, of player development for the Giants, um, and is in charge of developing all these people's careers. I heard an interview with him this winter, uh, where he said almost exactly that: that the Giants don't worry about kind of what a player doesn't have. They try to develop the tools they do have and make and see what happens. Uh, and they've always been an organization that's kind of known for not always actually. Maybe that's Revision of Smith. Lately, anyway, they've been known for developing players beyond what people thought they were going to be. And I think that's a development strategy that leads to that when you just try and build on the tools the player does have. Um, I do know that, so in this exact, this same Buster Posey conversation, he was saying at one point that he sort of found the minor leagues in a sense depressing because there's so much, because you don't have the, uh, the, the collegial atmosphere between players because they're competing with each other it's a zero-sum game yeah uh, you know one player gets promoted over another player I, I think there's an example of that in Sacramento right now Jarrett Parker has gotten off to a horrific start to the season he's struck out in literally half of his at-bats so far this year and when someone got promoted yesterday it was- I think Mac Williamson gets promoted over him because of the bad first week so players are kind of kind of skankying each other a little bit like if I do bad and you do well, you're moving up ahead of me. Um, and that's a nature of the beast somehow. In, well, in I, I would assume with, Jay, with Jared Parker, that came down to uh, people in AAA know how to throw curveballs and sliders, and that was going to be a problem for him, kind of regardless of what level he said. <laughs> he's, he's always going to swing and miss, for sure. You know, he's, he's a guy who, this is a crucial year. He's 27. Yeah. You know, put that in, in perspective. Thomas Neal, who is now retired and coaching in the Giants system, is 28. Uh. <laughs> uh, and then, you know, Mac Williamson, he's 26, but he did miss uh, a year. Um, so it's a little different, but this is kind of a big year for him, too, in that sense. Yeah. Absolutely. I think he's he needs to be starting to establish what kind of career he's going to have this year and particularly next year because next year there should be outfield openings um, the, on the roster. I mean, with Pagano, well, I still think they're I still think they're going to move Belt to left field and put Posey at first. <laughs> Bring Posey at first and uh, Trevor Brown is the starting catcher. That's right. That's right. Uh, so you. Uh, First of all, how long have you been doing minor lines for McCovey Chronicles? I have only been doing minor lines uh, for just over a year. I started for, for many, many, many years. Uh, Steve S. Uh, 
and was doing minor lines. In fact, Steve S had a had a site called Minor Lines back before the Waiting for Booth days, uh, and at some so point he joined him. in. I, see. I, I, I did not. <laughs> I, I respected his retirement <laughs> and, and stepped in, and, and uh, Grant asked me if I'd be willing to do it. And I, I've been following minor leagues for a, a long, long time, so I said sure, not really knowing how much how much work that was going to be. I said sure. Well, it's tremendous work. You you picked up from Steve S very well. Um, I mean, it's it's really been seamless, and it's it's an invaluable resource. If you don't listen to the site, those who are listening to this podcast, if you don't go to the site every day, you can find it right there on the page, uh, and it's very informative. It's a good way. You don't it doesn't uh, punish you for not knowing these people right away. You know, it's you can also use Google and find these players pretty sim- pretty easily. But it's a good sort of someone like me who does not find follow the minor leagues. Uh, it's it's very uh, valuable. But then there are those guys who I'll remember from being drafted uh, that I'm very interested in, and I'm going to just ask right away. I mean, there's no structure here, as you can tell. But sure. I, I really want to know uh, Bickford's start, um, or you know how his season is looking. And I think his start the other day, which I think was Wednesday, maybe Thursday. I can't recall now, see how informed I am. But uh, I, I, I'm really interested to know how uh, Bickford's going to develop for the Giants because pitching is always necessary, but he's sort of, I don't know, maybe he's the next guy. <laughs> so he's an interesting, he's an interesting character uh, yeah. in a lot of, a lot of ways, I think. But uh, um, he's had two starts so far this year. The first start was about as much a, a buzzworthy appearance as you could make. He, he probably was only going to pitch five innings that first start for, for a pitch count reason. And at one point he had a three and two count with two outs in the fourth inning. And he had not only retired everybody he had faced, he'd struck out 10 of the first 14 batters. Nice. So that's the kind of a start that's going to get some excitement. Uh, it kind of went down from there. He hit somebody and then he walked somebody and he gave up a double. So his line was really weird looking where he, had like three runs, but one hit and ten strikeouts. Um, his second start was not quite that exciting, but it was it was a lot of the same. He he, he put up a bunch of strikeouts. Um, he did end up giving a bunch of a few runs up. He uh, went about I think he went four and two thirds. Let me quickly like, look this up. What's interesting about Bigford is he puts up these big strikeout totals. Um, but if you hear people talk about his velocities, velocities are not always that high. He was throwing, you know, in the 90-91 range in both of these starts. He apparently has really explosive movement on his fastball, though. It's very difficult for, for batters to pick up. When he was drafted, there were people who did not like that pick. Uh, Chris Crawford of BP, I know, was one person who really disliked that pick. And the big question on him really is um, whether he's a starter or a reliever long-term. Because when he was at the Cape Cod League, which, of course, <laughs> Giants value highly, uh, yes. he was relieving, and he dominated that league, and he was up to 98. But he was up to 98 in short stints. He's never shown that kind of velocity when he's starting. And there's some question of if he's a guy who can go, you know, five, six, seven innings and maintain his velocity start to front. Um, and really, there's a whole bunch of other things to say about Phil Bickford, but long-term, probably 
that's going to be the major topic of does he have endurance? Can he throw multiple, you know, long innings while maintaining his stuff through it? Or is he a guy who's best in short bursts? But he throws a fastball that people have double hitting, and that's always a good start. Right, right. But, I mean, that's it's worth the Giants trying to find that out now as opposed to kind of playing to what we were saying before, playing to his strengths. But that's really more of a performance sort of thing. They want to – right? It's worth the effort to stretch him, try to stretch him out now, see if there's effectiveness. And if that doesn't work, then just, yeah, stick to the reliever aspect of it. Um, I mean, he's, he's six foot four. And yeah. he's got a late life fastball, and I mean, why not? <laughs> exactly. I mean, he has a body that should be able to yeah. absorb innings. You would think, and I, I always believe with young pitchers anyway, it's good to good to start them if no other reason for for repetition of pitches. You know, you're sure. you're not going to develop secondary pitches coming in and throwing one inning. Um, if I can jump just slightly, there's Please. another guy who I think has gotten off to a really interesting under the radar start this year. This is what we want to hear. Um, is is uh, a pitcher named uh, Joan Gregorio. Yes. Um, I believe his name is John. I, I pronounce it John, and I think that's pretty close to right. Um, I'm fine with Joan Gregorio. I really don't. <laughs> I don't know what. <laughs> and the reason that he, he jumped in my mind when you're talking about this is because, so last year, 2015, uh, so let me – I'll back up a little bit. Uh, Joan Gregorio is a guy who has been in the system for several years. He was signed as an international free agent. He has gone through all a lot of the steps from very low. He was in the Dominican League. He was in the Arizona Rookie League. He was in the short season league. Uh, he has been a long time developing. Pitchers and players who come from the international sphere who are signed at like 16, 17 years old have this weird administrative uh, – disadvantage in that um, the rules that govern when players can be selected out of another system on the Rule 5 system are mostly set up for American college players and American high school players. Mm-hmm. You're, if you're over 19 when you sign, you get you know three years before you can be Rule eligible, Rule 5 eligible. If you're drafted out of high school or you're, you're under 19, you get four years. And the kids who are signing at 16 are just wrapped into that same rule. So they start becoming Rule 5 eligible After when they are far, far yeah. from the finished product. Yeah. Um, and that's true of Gregorio. Gregorio was put on the 40-man to protect him from the Rule 5 draft after his A-ball season in the Sally, when he was far from a finished product. Right. The next year, the Giants, which was last year, jumped him to double-A. And at the same time, they put him in the bullpen. And this happens to an awful lot of Dominican pitchers because because their their clock is has to be advanced rapidly. Uh, once you get put on the forty man, you only have three years before you're out of options. A lot of these guys will get stuck in the bullpen because teams say, "Well, we don't have time to develop them as the starter, mm-hmm. so let's just get the arm." So Gregor was put in the bullpen in Double A last year, and he was just sort of, you know, there. He wasn't. Fantastic. He wasn't struggling. He didn't have eye-popping numbers. He came in. He pitched well. Uh, his control was kind of so-so. His strikeouts were good, but not great. Uh, but then late in the year, they put him back in the rotation, I think just for the last month. And he actually performed really, really well. And he has gone back to Double A this year and is back in the rotation. And his, his first two starts, he's given up, I think, two hits in 10 innings 
um, with um, 13 strikeouts is what I believe he's yes, got. Oh, 16 correct. strikeouts. 16 strikeouts yeah. in eight and two-thirds innings. Um, oh, where are you only... seeing that? I've got uh, 13 Ks in 10 innings. Uh, oh, that's right, because I, I was on the wrong page. That's what, <laughs> yes, 13, 13 Ks in 10 innings, only two hits, uh, five base runners, I think. So he's actually off to a fantastic start, and he, again, it's a big year because this is his second option year. So next year is his final option year. So he's a guy who they probably might look to push. Um, you know, it's, no, it's not a coincidence that the last several – Many of the last several trades the Giants have made have involved players who are in exactly Gregorio's situation. So Edwin Escobar, Kendry Flores, yes. you know, Curry Mellet, these guys get traded because they are quickly running out of option years. Right. And Gregorio's in that same situation. They're either going to want to kind of push him or he's a guy who's going to be, they might look at at trade options. Six, seven, uh, 180 pounds. I guess I'm kind of picturing like a Jamie Wright looking guy. So <laughs> he's a he's a he's a he's a big galoot. Um, I I would say that the 180 pounds is no longer true. Okay, uh, he has filled out more than that. Okay. Uh, he's not, uh, but he, he's still a pretty thin guy. He's he's uh, he's a tall drink of water, uh, and he has the you know the 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 pluses and minuses of all tall pitchers. One, it's hard to control the motion. It's hard to repeat the motion. Which makes uh, which makes he's, command always an issue, but on the other got hand, that he's, leverage. he's got the leverage. He's got the downhill plane. He's got releasing the ball closer to you. He's got stuff. He's an interesting guy. Uh, so I mean, he's added to the he was added to the forty man roster, and uh, I'm now going. You you're welcome to steer this where you need it to, but I want to steer it to something where the Giants needed to. As okay. an, and that is, if you look at the forty-man roster, they are maxed out on the infielders. Every infielder they have on the forty-man roster is on the team yes. <laughs> or on the DL. Uh, and when you look at the Giants' minor league system, you see their needs, what they need right now. Now that I can't believe I'm saying this, Ari Adrianza is on the DL uh, <laughs> because Kelby Tomlinson may not even be a one-inning solution. Um, and so you look at uh, Lucius Fox. Uh, that's the name that that I definitely hold on to. But you've got someone like Jalen Miller, who strikes me as like way far away. Uh, but then you also have someone like Christian Arroyo, who I think is probably still far away, but also feels like he's been around for a while. And so I'm wondering if you can kind of shed some light, uh, maybe even Hunter Cole too, uh, as as guys that are like these are middle infield options if this leanness continues into, say, July or August, and the Giants have a shot still? That is a heck of a question. Uh, yeah, I like so, asking big ones so you can disregard parts or just focus on one. It's easy. It's, it is. Can be our callers, are, I'm sure, are, are extremely un, unhappy that Adrianza going on the DL has caused such a problem for this team. Um <laughs> But I'm not sure exactly what the what the short term solution for it is because uh, you know Kelby Tomlinson has not looked good fielding at the major league level for sure, um, and just having him as the only guy who can back up the three major infield spots is pretty pretty slim as far as I can tell. And there is, like you say, there's nobody else on the forty man. Um, so the guys you talked about first off, Fox and, and Miller. 
Um, there are two things to be said about them. One is they're quite probably the two most exciting prospects in the system from a physical athleticism standpoint. Right. Both of these guys have an awful lot of tremendous physical gifts. I also know Lucius Fox is like 10 years old. I wasn't talking about this year so much as like, what's going on with him? <laughs> that's the second thing. And that's, you know, they are a long way from yeah. a major league uh, concern. What's going on with them is that they're doing their thing. They're doing their thing down there in the low <laughs> they're league. Being young. They're being young. Christian Arroyo is not much older than them. Um, he's, you know, he was drafted out of high school and he was a young high school player. So he's turning 21 uh, later this year. At the end of May, May 30th. Right. Yeah. And he's an interesting case because I know, the, you know, the Giants clearly love him. He's – the guy can hit. I'll give the official he can hit uh, <laughs> tool there. Uh, but he's aggressive. He's a guy who likes to swing. If you look at the start to his season, he is had a – a very Christian Royal start of the season. He's hitting 350, and he is swinging early and often. He's he's actually had a good amount of strikeouts to start the year, uh, which he did last year in San Jose too, and that kind of normalized as the season went on. Um, but he's out there to get his hits. There's no, he's out there to swing. Um, he's not shown a ton of power, and he's not shown a ton of patience. And it would probably be good for him to develop a while and learn an approach. Um, but I don't think it's out of the question that come July, if they're looking for help, that the Giants would not try to grab him and see if they can develop the rest of his game at the major league level. Um, if they thought they could give him the playing time to make it worth their while. And they, and I think what I've read is second base, third base, that seems to be a better fit for him than shortstop. Like shortstop, it's like uh, an adequate, an adequate kind of thing. Uh, I think that's probably true. And uh, one one thing to note is he he played third base today. I think yesterday was his first start in the minors at third base. He's also played second base several times in the last week. So they are moving him around. They're they're grooming him for defensive flexibility. Um, but he's a guy who you can see because they like you know they love his six six tool, whatever you call that. They like his instincts. They like his his uh, nose for the game. They like his work ethic. They like all the stuff about him. They like his arroyo-ness. They like his arroyo-ness. <laughs> they like his aura. Of, you, know, you talk about them trying to develop players who win in a way they win. Well, I think that's Christian Royal. He's going to win in the way that he wins, <laughs> which is not doing a lot of other stuff, but it's barreling up the ball. Um, I will be interested to see if they try him in the outfield at some point this year, too. Uh, because I think he could do that defensively. He has a pretty good nose. I've seen him run down pop-ups in a way that would suggest that he can track fly balls. Uh, if you ever uh, YouTube the AFL championship game from last October, that game ended on him going way down the line and making this great sliding catch on a, on a very long pop-up. Uh, so he can run down fly balls, I think. But you know what's going to happen with his offensive game for immediate concerns, is definitely up in the air. So I don't know how the Giants can solve that middle infield problem. In AAA right now, they have Hakju Lee, who was in the Tampa Bay system for many, many years and was 
always reputed to be an outstanding defensive player. Uh, he had a terrible, terrible injury to his leg a couple of years ago, which really hindered his progress, and he's always been a pretty light hitter. Anyway, uh, Ramon Pena, and then they have a bunch of corner guys like Grant Green and Connor Gillespie. And it's not, it's not really – none of that – no one seems to be a great fit for what they need at the major league level right now. So I'm not sure what they're going to do about that. Well, uh, <laughs> that's certainly where some of uh, the anxiety is going through <laughs> because it seems to me that just adding uh, more pitchers to the roster <laughs> is, a, is a big problem. <laughs> uh, uh, because, yeah, we could be up to 15 or 16 here pretty right, soon. That's right. Um, and then as Alex Pavlik pointed out the other day, that the fact that why would you have add a new guy in and why would you have 13 pitchers and still bring George Contos into every game? It doesn't quite make sense, but you know, I, you know, I guess it's hard to question what the giants are doing when they've been so successful, but they certainly do do things that cause your head. You just scratch your head, your head to spin. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so who should, I mean, they almost always prioritize keeping inventory. They don't like cutting loose players if they don't have to, which is, I guess you could see the Corey Guerin decision coming because they didn't want to have to, to let him loose. He was out of options, and he looked so good. So, Yeah. But uh, it is strange. Right, and when, when you have some teams out there that are just, you know, the Braves and the Phillies kind of jump to mind, where it's just like, they'll take anybody. So we know <laughs> we know that there's a good chance they won't clear waivers just because Absolutely. of these guys. Uh, or even if you, like, look at the Angels, they're pitching starved, too. You don't, you know, they could use all the help they could get. Um, the Mariners, yeah, there are the a lot Mariners, of those teams yeah. out there. So who should we – is there anyone sort of that we haven't mentioned who you're really excited uh, to to track this year all the way through? Not necessarily if they're going to make it to the major leagues or maybe they'll just move up a level or maybe not even at all. And you just think like – and you want us to get excited about him. Um, well, there are a few of those people. So – have at Let's it. see. Where should we start here? <laughs> uh, I, Derek Law, I suppose, has has already excited Giants followers with uh, his his major league debut the other night uh, when he came out and struck out the side at the end of a rather dismal Dodgers game. So nine, so ninety six miles an hour, and then he'll float what is somewhere between a curveball and a splitter up there. Yeah, and it and it looks ridiculous, and it's a very strange sight to behold, but very impressive. You know, a couple of years ago, I was at a, a Richmond Flying Squirrels game, and, and I tend to like to seat myself around the scouts just so I can, like, eavesdrop on them very, sure. very badly. Sure. Um, and there was, in fact, for like three innings, these crusty old scouts were chatting away like they do, and they were talking about how much they lament the fact that these days all U.S. pitchers have cookie-cutty del- deliveries, that everywhere you go, every – High school, every college teaches the same delivery, and they were saying, "Where's the old, you know, guy who comes in and is all asses and elbows, and you can never pick up the ball?" And at some point in this, Derek Law came in the game, and I tapped this guy in front of me and said, "You're going to like this guy." <laughs> and, uh, and Law came in and he says, "Like, yeah, that's what I'm talking about, exactly that." <laughs> and it is. He just like turns his back on you. You can't figure out where the ball's coming from, and then he just throws this hellacious slider curve thing. Um, and he's got Trump. He's got great, great control. Um, 
his first game this year, he, he throws innings like eight pitch innings. He had an eight pitch inning with six strikes. He had a thirteen pitch inning with ten strikes. Um, before his uh, his TJ, when he was uh, kind of just coming along, he had a, a half season run in San Jose that was uh, uh, forty five strikeouts right. to one walk in you know like twenty innings. It was just unbelievable. So he's a guy you get to like in a hurry. Now, down a level, there is a guy who is equally exciting but very, very different, and that's Ray Black, who's currently in double-A. And Ray Black is most famous for being one of the hardest throwers in all the minor leagues. He's been repeatedly uh, uh, clocked over 100. Is 103 isn't unusual, and 104 sightings have been made of Ray Black. Uh, somebody, there was a... a a BP scout at a game of his recently who was tweeting out some very enthusiastic tweets of like, you want to see a Ray Black appearance if you mm. like baseball and, and just effusive in his praise for this electric, electric stuff. Um, last night, which was two days later, the bad Ray Black came out, which is the guy who, you know, walks the bases loaded and then uh, gives up the double to clear them because he, he can't find the strike zone. Mm. Uh, that guy exists too, but you know, 102 plays at yeah. any level. Uh, the big thing with Ray Black, of course, is he has a, a tremendously long injury history. It took him three years to actually get into a game after being drafted. Um, and it's all over. It's labrum surgery. It's TJ surgery. It's knee surgeries. He's had all kinds of stuff. So what he has never done at any level is pitch back-to-back days. Hmm. And that's what the Giants had to get him to do is pitch – have a regular pro workload and see how his arm responds. And then I think if he proves he can do that, then they need to start using those bullets at the major league level probably pretty quickly. Right. Here's a really dumb question. If a guy's capable of throwing 102, I know he knows that's going to get him there, but if he's able, is it just like when, if you know how to throw one way, you can't learning how to throw at 96, 97 and being the same guy, you're just—it's not—it's really difficult to do, right? That's like adding another layer on. That seems because it seems logically that would be the way he would be able to do the back-to-back thing, and maybe figure out some other things. Yeah, I—I I think it's—it's it's more complicated. There are people who sometimes try and take a, a tick off to gain command, but I think if you're someone whose whose body is producing that much <laughs> right, force, right. that slowing it down can be more problematic. <laughs> right. Uh, because, you know, it's a lot of it. It's muscle memory. Sure, sure. But I do think we're going to see Ray Black. Uh, All right. So Derek Law and Ray Black. Uh, and I know uh, that Bochy's he's going to, if he gets a chance, if he gets another feeling, it, we're going to see Derek Law four times a week. I just know it. He'll. Oh, he's going to like it. Yeah. Bochy likes people with weird deliveries. He's always yeah. said that. He likes, he, that's why he likes Corey Guerin. Yeah, he like well. And so, and I, when we talk about those two guys, it makes me think, you know, you got to be kind of ruthless in this business, but it makes it seem like Contos would then become expendable. And so I, I know the Giants are probably looking for, well, we're not going to base it off of two or three, you know, appearances to make any sort of move there. But at some point, you know, we've, we've already seen it over these past six or seven years. Hell, we've seen it over the last 15 that these right. roster crunches can be very, very tricky. And you just kind of wonder... At some point, something's got to give. Um, and on the other hand, maybe Tomlinson turns it around. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, or, or DL stints, you know, yeah. sit out there and save the day. That's So who's uh, anyone sort of be- below okay, Ray Black? Okay, so let me go down to the San Jose team. There's a, um, 
a guy who has gotten off to a really amazing start uh, first week of the season in San Jose. I actually wrote a preview piece on him after I went to spring training, uh, and that's an outfielder named Steven Duggar, uh, who the Giants took last year in their with their six-round pick out of Clemson. Um, and Duggar is a guy who has, in college, the, the kind of rap on him was always – why doesn't he play to his tools? Because he's a he's a big kid. He is a fast kid. He has a great throwing arm. He's got really good bat speed. He just you know kind of drips athleticism. Um, but then he never hit for power. He didn't hit for much power in in college ball, and he didn't hit for much power last year in in Salem Kaiser. Uh, and so there's always this question of like, will this guy's tools play? And so far this year, in fact, today he's having a monster day. I see he's hit two home runs today down in Inland Empire. So he has gotten off to a oh, – let me quickly give you a line on him. Uh, well, I can't because the game's in progress. He's currently hitting three eighty seven with four home runs. Uh, and he's always been a guy who walks a lot. So well, that's very he's good. kind of taking the tools that everyone said – this guy is a great upside pick, which is what most people said when the Giants took him. So this guy's a great upside pick because he has tremendous athleticism. And he, for at least, you know, a week of first week of the season, he is really applying them. He's hitting for extra bases. He is, you know, running well. And he's a tremendous defensive outfielder. He's a guy who's playing right field uh, because they have a, a, another center fielder who's a really exquisitely good defensive player. But Duggar could play center. Uh, but he's got the arm for right, so he's he's got a lot of stuff going for him. And if he can, if his power shows up, he is going to be very quickly the best outfield prospect in this system, probably. All right, Roger, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, you can again, like I said, you can check out minor lines every day, every night on the site McCoverChronicles.com. Excellent content all the time. Uh, Roger, thanks again for joining us, and we'll catch up with you later. All right, cool. Now, so that now that that's out of the way, you've got a good view of the Giants minor league system. Doug, you go to the game, so you you know, you didn't even need to be there. It all worked out. <laughs> right, I was literally not there because I was at a minor league game. Yeah. Uh, so we're going to uh, we asked for Twitter questions, and we got one question, and it's the question that I already was thinking about. So we're just going to fold it into. We're going to play a game this week. We got a few more than that, actually. Eventually. Oh, we did. I, oh, well, then let's let's burn through some. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. So um, you're gonna so you're gonna burn through that first question. No, we're gonna save that because that's the game. Okay. <laughs> the big question oh. is the game. Yeah, that was where I was okay. going with that. <laughs> the, wait, the how? Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um. So uh, the first question is from. Uh, User Dark Twitter user Dark Rose and McCovey Chronicles user Dark Rose asking why can't we have robot umpires? <laughs> um, if in case you didn't see the game last night, the strike zone was not very good. It was quite large. Uh, uh, Maeda took pretty good advantage of that, and that was a big part of the Dodgers' victory. So why can't we have robot umpires? Oh, you're asking me. Yeah. Uh, I, technologically, I think it's getting pretty close, but I, I mean, it depends. There's a lot of things we're talking about home plate umpires. Uh, right. I mean, I assume that's what everyone means. Why the question really is probably why can't balls and strikes be called by robots? 
because I don't think we can get a robot to decide if a runner is safe on a play at home. Um, if the check swing went through, we we're probably getting close on that one, but I, I feel like there's human, there's interaction, interactivity, like tracking the actual game situations, um, before that can happen. What, you know, who checks on when we need new balls, the computer is doing that. So there's like all these variables at the home plate umpire, it, you know, are they, are they going to give out the ground rules and, and do the lineup stuff? Now, I'm sure most people were saying, like, get rid of all that. Have them email it before the game. Have them <laughs> Snapchat it from the dugout. And I'm sure that'll happen in time. But uh, I don't know. I, I, the, my main thing is, have they figured out how to do it so that it adjusts for each player? Because the strike zone does adjust to the player. And have we figured out a way to keep the technology so that people aren't getting like x-rayed every time they step up to home plate so that they're not like getting cancer i don't know i'm thinking of like random things but have we perfected it to a point where any errors it makes a human um would also make that's really and then not make them i guess we don't want the it making errors that no human would make is really what it comes down to and we're getting there there's gonna um, be a I, league there's gonna, gonna be say, a league that does it there is yeah. I was going to say because the umpire union is a bunch of big babies, but your, your answer is good too. Yeah. Well, to me, it seems like here's how you keep the same number of umpires, is, and, but you add the robot strike zone, is yeah. that you get one of the – all one of the umpires does become the replay ump. Like uh, that's right yeah. there. And that, so then you're not having these delays and calling to New York. Because to me, that's the problem with replay is you have to have someone watching the play – and essentially overturning the call, there's not, you get rid of the challenges. Like you're just having, some, that's the best version of replay for me in my mind. It's like you can get the video technology to be almost instantaneous because there's usually 30 seconds between plays in a baseball game, which to review, right. basically review the play right after it happens and, and literally like hit a red button or something to be like, stop baseball, correct <laughs> error. <laughs> Um, yeah, I don't I don't have a lot of good things to say about college football, but that is one of the things that they do right, which is that each coach has one challenge for the game, but mo but most of the plays are just reviewed by someone upstairs, like just an official upstairs who stops the game and then they do the replay that way. And it takes, you know, and it's this bizarre thing in, in baseball and in the NFL of getting the calls right is suddenly a matter of game strategy. Like if you're if you're only 30 percent sure that a call is going to be overturned and you don't challenge it. Well, what if you're right? You know, what if you're right and they were going to find that and your replay guy didn't see it in 20 seconds and now you have a wrong call for no reason. Like that's right. why you need to have just challenges are not helpful. Challenges are just uh, a kind of a nod to people. We're like, it'll slow the game down. Hey, you know what slows the game down is managers running out to argue about calls that you could get right with replay. Right. Uh, one positive another part of the strategy is you could always challenge a call to get your pitcher warming up in the bullpen uh, right <laughs> if you were slacking on that so i'm sure we're going to see it in some league probably in like korea or something you know we'll see something and then they'll sort of work its way in to the minor leagues and then up through there i don't know but it's probably five or ten years off and i don't know uh, yeah that's it 
technology is getting there. <laughs> um, next question is from Wellven at LB37, who asked, why is ESPN Sunday Night Baseball so bad? I'm assuming that question is about the quality of the broadcast and not the quality of the Giants play on it, because there were other questions about the quality of the yeah. Giants play on that. Well, on are, are the it, rest of the questions about that? Yeah. Is, is that what the rest of the questions are about? Uh, there's one more. Oh, okay. Well, then for me, the Sunday night game, I mean, I don't watch them very often. And when I do, it's on mute. I mean, that's really <laughs> all it comes down to. I mean, I don't. I, I've heard Jessica Mendoza in separate interviews, and I did hear her when she did her first broadcast last season, but I didn't, you know, it. I'm very biased against the Giants. And so <laughs> <laughs> uh, the Giants are the, you know, the Giants, Mets, and Dodgers are, those are the three broadcast crews that I think are exceptional. And, and if you're not that, then you're average at best. And I think the Sunday night booth is now average. But before it was really bad. It was really bad, and you know it was really bad with John Miller and Joe Morgan. Yeah, uh, it, it was. was really bad. Um, um, it was very hard to listen to all that stuff, and it's really hard when it's not your team. It's really hard to listen to, and one, and for the most part, I mean that's most of the reason why people have such strong reactions to it. But another part, the broadcast themselves, because people who produce them are really focused on like baseball is boring. Baseball is boring. Baseball is boring. That mentality that sunk in. And some of these crews do various sports. And so they, they bring both sort of like, we need to have more cuts, more entertainment uh, going on in the game. Cause the game itself is not interesting. And that's a mentality that you can see it. You, if you sit down to watch a broad, a national broadcast of a baseball game with the mindset of the people who are producing this show think baseball is boring then you everything that you see will being filtered through that will make complete sense um that's true i mean i will say that i think the broadcast is generally fine um jessica mendoza is really good dan shulman is is pretty good at doing play-by-play uh aaron boone is kind of obnoxious but yeah they're average it, it's average but yeah but i mean i think overall it's not actually bad like it it has been bad kurt yeah. Schilling made it bad yeah you know joe morgan was bad john crook was very bad at that job yeah um but right now i don't i think it's fine like just as a as a broadcast like it could be better we're used to it being better but that doesn't mean that that broadcast is especially bad because i don't think it is well Um, another thing just to get down to the nitty-gritty of technical details i've always i've always hated the way that espn mixes its sound it's somehow I'm serious. Like I feel like when you listen to any, when you watch the telecast and you hear the crowd noises, it's got some sort of suppression on the sound. It doesn't come through as clearly or as strongly as if you watch other uh, broadcasts of, of the same sports. Um, I feel like a Turner broadcast versus an ESPN broadcast of an NBA game. You can hear a difference uh, maybe because my ears are very sensitive to background noise. I don't know. But it feels like they kind of strangle crowd noise more in favor of their broadcasters. Uh, and that seems to always have been the case to me. Like the sound is much more up front. And so that's always bothered me when I've watched their baseball games because you mostly hear their bad broadcasters. <laughs> um, great. That was that was actually interesting. There you go, people. An interesting thing. Um final question that we have from Twitter is from one Kristen 
at Legal Eagle 88. Oh, you're going to do this one. All right. Uh, Kristen's question is, <clears throat> my question is, how did Groog get so cute? Aww. <laughs> Aww. That's my girlfriend. Uh, I have an answer for this. <laughs> oh, oh, wow. I don't. Uh, it looks like you got a haircut. <laughs> <laughs> you're, the last time, at least the... I saw her post a picture of you at the game today, but then I recall seeing a picture of you. She took a picture of you and posted it online. I don't remember when, but between that first one and then today's or yesterday's, I mean, you had shorter hair. So I think it's that. <laughs> that's what I, that's my answer. I could be wrong. You, you could probably you're, be you're like incredibly wrong. I have not gotten a haircut. You could be like, I, I, I have uh, my biceps are larger. It could be that. I don't know. It's my biceps. Yeah. Uh, gun show. Uh, maybe the weather's changing a little bit. So you're, I don't, I don't know. Maybe you're, maybe you're just, your skin is shinier. I don't know. Have you gotten more sun now that you go to more baseball games? That's what it is. Your skin is, you yeah. have more color in your face. Thanks. Yeah. There we go. All right. So the final question though, then is the big one, which is our game. It forms the basis of our game. And that is, why are the Giants such hot flaming garbage on Sunday Night Baseball? <laughs> Why do they suck so badly? That's I, that's not one specific question. That's the tone of the questions. But uh, that was something you said in last week's Croncast, uh, that the Giants were going to lose this game. And I think when the Giants, when that shows up on a national broadcast, we we know the deal. They're going to they're gonna lose and they're going to look really bad losing. Yeah, <laughs> that's just how it works. That's like an immutable law of the universe. Uh, and so the game this week, I think, is let's do either like a, you know, let's just just treat the Sunday night baseball version of the Giants as if it was the 31st team, like its own team, because if it actually was, it would be worse than the current 2016 Atlanta Braves. Like they would be the worst team in baseball because they would all be bad. Um, so I want to just talk crap about that Sunday night baseball giants. Again, folks, the premise of the game is <laughs> what if the the giants that only played on Sunday night baseball telecasts were its own separate team. Let's do like a breakdown, a, a, a season preview and, and, or like a baseball prospectus overview. There we go. Of like their strengths and weaknesses. That's the game. <laughs> I'll start. The 2016 Sunday Night Baseball Giants are one of the worst teams in the history of professional sports. I think that they have a bunch of big names who are forced, uh, who have been thrust in the spotlight um, for some reason. Maybe because they have cool names like Buster or Hunter and they look kind of funny. But really, they're bad. Like They have bats, but they don't know how to use them. Um, everything that we're told is good about them never shows up. Um, their manager is really dumb. He makes really bad decisions and puts in a lot of garbage players who are worse than the guy, somehow worse than the players that they put in. And they just look like they don't know how to play baseball. They can't hold on to a ground ball hit to them in consecutive plays. Uh, they can't make pitches when they need to to any any person in the lineup, but they can get ahead on hitters and not put them away. Not even not put them away, but throw the worst possible pitch. The worst possible pitch you could throw in situations like that. As though it was called 
Like, surely I'm going to call the worst possible pitch, and you won't throw it as bad as you possibly can. And they do. They can't, you know, no defense, no offense. Oh, man, any pitcher on Sunday Night Baseball or playing the Sunday Night Baseball Giants is a Cy Young Award winner. Any any offensive player who's been struggling, any rookie who doesn't know how to hit a breaking ball will get that fastball route right down the middle to to make you go, oh, this is the prospect we all remember. They always make the other 25 look great, and they look like they don't belong on the planet Earth. So screw you, Sunday Night Baseball Giants. You're the worst piece of garbage. You're worse than Batman versus Superman. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so I, what was that? Oh, I was writing something. I didn't know you heard that. <laughs> yeah, that was very loud. Okay. <laughs> um, so I think that it's important to go over strengths and weakness, weaknesses objectively of this team. <laughs> um, so I'll, I'll start out with strengths. Uh, none. Yep. Yeah, none. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the weaknesses are um, mainly pit, uh, pitching, starting pitching, defense, uh, hitting, and relief pitching, and also coaching. Um, they don't do anything right. They look like you took a middle school basketball team from Malaysia and you told them what baseball was. And then three minutes later, they were playing in the World Series. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so that's that's kind of what I think of the Sunday Night Baseball Giants, who basically just shouldn't exist. I think the world would be a better place without the Sunday Night Baseball Giants I mean, taking up part of it. Their stupid idiot moron of a pitching coach couldn't even wear the right uniform. For the for the, for yeah. that the rest of the stupid idiot team was, I mean, they're just a complete mess. They're just like a total disaster. Uh, they're just nothing. They do good, and it's just like you know, whatever. What an embarrassment! And you know, the commissioner should seriously consider um, contracting that team with extreme prejudice, like erasing them from history altogether. <laughs> All right, that was a little bit of a, a good cathartic. I felt pretty good dumping on them. But what yeah, a bunch of freaking idiots. Just so bad. <laughs> They're so bad. <laughs> At some point, you have to blame ESPN for continually putting them on, right? Right. Like, well, right, right. You're going to get a bad game. Right. Well, it's kind of like the 49ers. It's like, why do you keep rewarding badness? Like, why right. would you do that? To me, it seems like there's no penalty in treating a team that's bad as, as a non-entity. Like if the if ESPN just like said in public, oh, we're not we're not going to air the Giants. No one wants to watch them, and they're bad when we put them on. Like who's any objections that people have? It's not going to cost them subscribers. It's not going to cost them. Like the league's not going to get mad because they're it doesn't do anything. It'll just be a blip of a media story. So I'm wondering why there's not like more people with chutzpah like doing something like that. Where they're like, <laughs> like no, the Giants are bad. We don't want them on our air. That's just a waste of everyone's time. So, yeah. You know how much time and effort goes and money goes into these broadcasts? We're not putting the Giants on. Um, all right. <laughs> Any final thoughts for this uh, past garbage week of garbage Giants baseball? Um, 
I want them to play better than that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, Jake, Jake Peavy goes tonight. So, <laughs> so oh. we're going to roll right into that. Uh. <laughs> you know, you know that side Joe Bob stepping into rake sound. That's right. Just that. Yep. Yep. Uh, but Matt came tomorrow. I'm looking forward to that. Um, all right. Well, thanks. Uh, you can always send us your Twitter questions about anything if you want during the week, even when we are not asking for them. Because it'd be fun to answer them. We got a good. We got some good stuff this week. Anyway, I'm <laughs> I'm at every sixth day on Twitter, Doug. I'm at Moonwalk McFly. And we will be back next Monday. Thanks for listening. Thanks.